Most of us here this morning are very different people to the people we were even last Sunday. We've lived through an almost seismic jolt. We're in a different reality, and it's unsettled the assumptions that we have. And I don't know about you, but it prompts a whole raft of questions, doesn't it? The very fact that you have me preaching this morning instead of Darren reflects this because Darren as a policeman has had all his leave cancelled and he's at work. Shall we pray? Almighty God and Lord of life, we pray for peace and flourishing in our borough, in our city, and all cities affected by violence. Enfold those who mourn in your everlasting arms. Protect the weak and the vulnerable. Comfort all who've lost homes and businesses. Protect and guide our emergency services. And make us agents of your hope in the days to come. In the name of Jesus, Prince of Peace. Amen. You know, there are moments in all our lives when we're just going along like this, like a little boat on the sea, and something happens, and we are pulled up short. You know, in political things, for those of us who are older, it might have been the assassination of John F. Kennedy, or Martin Luther King, or the day John Lennon was killed. It might have been the Boxing Day tsunami, or the Japanese earthquake. Sometimes it's a personal thing, but very occasionally it involves all of us in our community and in our city. And we saw violence and disorder implode in front of us. Well, perhaps if we're honest, on our television screens. But we're seeing its legacy all around our local shops and streets and hearing the stories and, you know, for the first time, maybe ever, maybe for a very long time, we've experienced palpable fear. We've experienced vulnerability in our own homes. We've heard helicopters circling, and we've not known what was going to happen. Very briefly, we've been alongside suffering people all around the world who live in that constant uncertainty who are always looking over their shoulder, alert for danger, ears cocked, ready to move. It's been a rare excursion for us, but a daily reality for them. And let's not forget this. All the places that we pray for week after week, year in, year out, Iraq, Afghanistan, Somalia, Sudan, we could go on and on. For them, that was their reality. And I don't know if you're like me. It's quite hard. You have a wealth of impressions, but not yet a narrative. And it takes time to process what we've lived through. You know, I think for most of us, it began with that fire in Tottenham in the carpet shop last Sunday, only a week ago. And the 28 families that were made homeless in that just escaping with their lives because good neighbours ran through knocking them out. And then there was that fire in Clapham with that photo of the woman jumping out of the window. You know, that's really etched on our hearts, isn't it? 
And then there was that furniture shop in Croydon. You know, five generations survived two world wars and went in half an hour. But then it came to Ealing, didn't it? The events in Springbridge Road leading to the death of Richard Mannington Bowes and the fire by Budgeons in the Grove. The devastation to the flats above, the people there who escaped. Did you see that woman with her violin? We saw family shops that we've known and used in West Ealing and Greenford in the Broadway. From the baby clothes shop to Sega Electronics, where many of our tellies came from. And then there was the ricochet the next day to Birmingham and Manchester and Salford and Liverpool and Nottingham. And there was the unbearable dignity of Tariq Jahan in Winston Green, who stemmed single-handedly a potential retribution riot there. And he spoke community in the midst of his deepest, deepest pain. He reminded me of Gordon Wilson, for those of you who can think back to that bomb in Northern Ireland many years ago now in Enniskillen. And I think what we've learned is that the veneer of civilization is much thinner than we thought. The construct of society is a bit fragile. And that only one spark can start a conflagration that bypasses all ordinary forms of protest. We've seen copycat looting and pillaging, destruction for the sake of it. And we've seen man's humanity to man actually personified in the mugging of Ashraf Hazik, the Malaysian student who was mugged by his supposed good Samaritans. Didn't it break your heart? You know, London's fire brigade answered 2,169 calls between 6 o'clock on Monday evening and 7 o'clock on Tuesday morning, 15 times more than normal. 200, sorry, 2,275 people have been arrested and 1,000 charged for riot-related offences. Predominantly young, but not quite as dispossessed as we expected we weren't ready to see the stereotypes fall away as the first person in court was a teaching assistant and then a trainee social worker and even a ballerina. That actually made us think. We couldn't have made it up, could we? But there are two things that I believe very firmly we need to do as Christians. We need to explore why it happened we have to seek to understand so that we can pay, play our part in rebuilding our community. Not the buildings, but of course the buildings, but the people and the relationships and the trust. You know, there have been truly, truly terrible sound bites around the media. I don't know what you felt about them. Society not sick but broken. A smash and grab society feral young people, opportunistic looting. Britain has been described as having, I think this one is really grim, an institutionalized system of bare adequacy. Bare adequacy. Such a long, long way from what Jesus promised. I've come that you will have life 
and life in all its fullness. Their adequacy is not life in all its fullness. And it was really good to see our church leaders speaking out. Bishop Richard spoke for many of us, because many of you here work with young people. And he said this, it's obviously vital not to stigmatize a whole generation. There are huge numbers of hopeful young people. We have a problem with the minority. And I guess, you know, that shock about the disregard for life and livelihoods shown by the minority cannot be allowed to taint the majority. Bishop Richard talked about a lack of restraint and perhaps the moral compass being a bit of kilter, that something about clear teaching about right and wrong, communicated through nourishing relationships, is awry in our society. And if you look on the BBC website, they've picked out ten things that they think we should look at. I'm not going to go into them, but, you know, it really is worth looking because people have given reasons why they think this is a contributory factor and other people have said no. It's fascinating to look at. But how about this for a list? Welfare dependence. They're not in any order. Social exclusion. Consumerism. Lack of fathers. Spending cuts. Weak policing. Racism, gangs, gangster rap and culture, opportunism, technology and social networking. I guess we've all got opinions on some of it. There have been another few that I've picked up in the last couple of days. An over-feminized education system. <laughs> That's going to take some exploring, isn't it? Somebody arguing that we don't have enough competition, structure, hierarchy for the boys in schools. I don't know about that one. Greed and envy. And then finally, secularization. That there's no longer a coherent moral structure for our society that we all buy into. Well, there is no one cause. It's a complex meld of all of these. But it's clear that we can't go on wallpapering over the cracks. Have any of you ever moved into an old house and tried to assess your walls before you start decorating? I've run my hand along what I thought was a nice wall, and suddenly my finger's gone through the wallpaper. And what's happened is there was a crack, and somebody's sort of filled it, and then they've wallpapered over it. So when you look at it, it looks okay, but when you touch it, the wallpaper grows brittle, it breaks, you put your finger in, the filler's coming out. It's a really bad repair. And we can't have that this time. It's actually hard work getting a wall ready, isn't it? I don't know about you, but my arms and sanding walls, it's just the worst job in the world as you apply that filler and you sand it down. And sometimes you have to do it two or three times or are Richard and I very unlucky with our walls? In society, we have got to do this for our communities. We've got to unpack the bits that have been stuffed badly, sand it down, and restore those walls to health. But more importantly, we've got to be people of hope. You know, I'm really pleased to have seen the signs and the assertions of resilience 
there's an articulation of hope and steady witness and the high profile given to the church has been really special, hasn't it? You know, on Monday, Bishop Peter Wheatley, who's the Bishop of Edmonton, spoke about Tottenham, but he could have been speaking about Ealing. And he said this, the event rioters who've destroyed so much, what has happened will not collecting possessions for those who'd lost their home, been bedding when she had lost everything. You know, in the stopped a rioting crowd to let an ambulance through to a, an elderly lady who'd fallen and broken her hip, and the police asked them to do it. So, you know, sometimes as church and as Christians, we feel a bit marginalized by our society. And actually, in this, there have just been these glimmers of hope that show the wider world what we are and what we can bring. And, you know, I was going to talk about the prayer vigil on Ealing and how special it was to see something in our community. I looked on Twitter, well, not that I know anything about Twitter, but I looked on a website that had the Twitter feeds coming in. So I sound as if I'm getting better on these things. But it said there's a load of people giving cupcakes out in Ealing too. And I thought, how can that be? Polly's on holiday. (laughs) But, you know, there has been a wonderful response. People have given things. You know, an organization in this city gave Bishop Richard some money to set up a fund so that immediately relief could be provided in the the most needy places. And then, of course, there were the broom armies, weren't there? Didn't that warm your heart to see people coming out determined not to let these images of destruction represent their community? Isn't that just a fabulous one? And these cleanups have been replicated all across the country. Weren't you impressed to see how quickly Ealing Council was out resurfacing the roads where the cars burnt down? You know, some of us might not have been there in time to actually see it, and it was gone and mended. And there are real signs of people caring for each other. There are messages to make us smile. Be nice to each other, Londoners. There's another one, looters equal losers. And then there's a community notice board where people have just written messages all across a boarded up shop. And that connects everybody together and allows people to share their experiences. And you know, I was surprised to see how many people have been out and about in Ealing supporting local businesses and restaurants. I moved away from my usual dine-in for £10 on a Friday night with Marks and Spencers and went up to our local pub. And do you know, it was heaving on Friday night. Everybody was there. And you know, Twitter even changed a logo. Love London. And it's what we need to be doing, loving London. Because we have good news to share. We can offer loving, practical help in the immediate aftermath. We can dig deep and work with our neighbours on some of the really complex issues that have contributed to these riots. But don't forget, we have a prophetic voice. We have a saviour who models an alternative way of life, who models a lifestyle that includes and embraces all of humanity. Our reading today showed the crowd 
following a tired Jesus around the Sea of Galilee. A very human crowd. And guess what? Even after the feeding of the 5,000, they were hungry again. But they were very much rooted in the here and now. They wanted answers. They wanted signs even, like manna. But they weren't ready to hear verse 27. Do not work for the food that spoils, but for the food that endures to eternal life. They wanted a list of rules. What must we do to do the works God requires? But unlike the questions we're asking today, do you know, I think I've actually got this printed wrongly somehow. What must we do to do the works that God requires? And Jesus tells them, love him. There isn't a list. There's no magic list that if we do this, 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 and this, it's going to be okay. Loving Jesus is the beginning of a journey. It's the challenge. It's the challenge to live and to love and to labor as Jesus did for our world. To be the bread of life who gives life to the world. There are many, many heavy-laden people in our communities who need the hope of forgiveness, who need to know that it's possible to confess and repent and be forgiven and to live again. We need that life for everybody, for local councils, emergency services, for the magistrates, to those on trial for the parents of those on trial, to the schools preparing to go back in September, and for some of their young people who are going to have been involved. We know from this reading, Jesus is our bread. He gives us life. He's the life we want to give to our community. At the end of John's Gospel, he commissions Peter, Peter, feed my sheep. Peter, tend my sheep. Peter, feed my sheep. And so that challenge to us as we live here is to feed the sheep in Ealing. To walk alongside them, to share, but to bring that hope of healing. To be alongside the heavy laden. To walk with them, to share the load. We've lived through a week that has probably changed our community forever. We've experienced fear. We've experienced vulnerability ourselves. We've watched indescribable pain and suffering. And now the call in us is to stand, as many did on Ealing Green yesterday, to be that hope today but to be that hope consistently through the next weeks and months to support all of those who are in their official capacities making efforts and to be that salt and light in our communities. So I'm really thankful we had this reading today. These people searching after Jesus saying, what do we have to do? Give us the list. There is no list. Love Jesus. Walk beside him.
Be his hands and his feet to our community. Feed his sheep. Shall we stand?